Good morning, church. It is so good to see you. A little different weather from last week when all the craziness was going to, kind of going on. It's kind of refreshing to have rain here and there, you know. But I love, I love it when it's hot. And some people go, oh, it's like, I just would rather have it hot. Some people don't mind cold. I like hot. So be that as it may. Isn't it wonderful, though? It's a wonderful thing when, when you have someone that is always on your side. Um, you know that they're there for you. Whenever you need them, they, they are there through thick and thin. Um, no matter what, they are always there for you. They, they, they don't waver in that sense. They're always there. And you can, you can count on them uh, whenever you need them. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing to have somebody like that in your life. But I'm not talking about someone who would just appease you to, to agree with you just so just because they, they're trying to butter up to you. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Someone who, who, who agrees with you whether you're right or wrong just, so, um, just to kind of enable your behavior. I'm not talking about those kinds of people. Although sometimes you're going, no, I kind of like those people around me to agree with me every time, even though I'm wrong, you know. Um, not, not, not so much that they're blinded to everything you do, um, I'm talking about someone that is in your life, that loves you, that, that, that will be there for you, that, um, that will tell you the truth, <laughs> loves you enough to tell you the truth. And when you're wrong, uh, they tell you. And when you blow it, they're there. But they do it in a way to, to encourage you. Um, I know for many of us, that would be our spouse. You know, they're, they're there with us through thick and thin. Um, that's what spouses are supposed to be there for, to encourage us and, and to be straight up. And for some of you, that might be your parents, you know, that, that, that are really like there. Uh, for you, some of you is your siblings or maybe even your kids that, that are, are there and they're open enough to tell you something when you need it. And for, for a lot of us, some, for some, uh, it's a friend. It's a friend that would... Be willing to cut you deep in an, in an effort to help you. But they're, but they're there for you, you know? Um, now, what if that kind of person that I'm kind of talking about that is always there for you, what if, what if that kind of person was like a defense attorney, a lawyer, if you will, that, uh, that is always there for you, you know? Anytime you need him, you, they're, they're there. You know, they're, they're, they're on your side through thick and thin. Um, whenever you need them, you can count on them for anything. Oh, and by the way, you pay them for that. <laughs> you have them on retainer, so they're on your side all the time. You know, it, you, you would like, oh, i got to pay them to agree with me or to try to get me out of trouble. But if, if, if you had somebody that was a family member that's attorney like that, an attorney like that, um, it might be a different story. You might not have to pay them, but... Um, they might get tired of defending you too. Um, but I have some great news for you this morning. Um, we've got someone, as believers, who is on retainer, if you will, someone who is always on your side, who is there for you. Through thick and thin, no matter what, they are on your side, and, and, and you can count on him all the time. 
Now, the reason being for him representing us as believers, and I need to stipulate that as believers, because, again, this, this representative is, is for those who believe. But the reason that he represents us is because he has a vested interest in you and he paid the price to defend you before the judge. Whatever the judge demanded, this representative paid that price. He appeased the judge in that sense. In other words, he took the guilt and, and paid the penalty and it was sufficient for the judge. And he paid the price for all mankind. All mankind. But only those that he defends are those who have retained him. Those who have come to him and, 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 and if you are one of those here this morning who has not retained him, an unbeliever, he will be more of a prosecuting attorney to you than a defense attorney. Oh, he won't have to do much. Your own words and your own actions will condemn your life, will indict you. But he won't, he won't defend you. If that is you this morning and you know that you're here this morning and you, you're not a believer, you don't stand a chance before the, the righteous judge. I'll I, I just give you that right now. <laughs> whatever your defense is, whatever your plea is before this righteous judge, if you do not have this defense attorney representing you, you don't stand a chance. Your best chance is to plead guilty right now, right where you're sitting, and ask for forgiveness and let God forgive you. And then, and only then, will you ever have a chance to stand before the righteous judge. But if you are a believer this morning, for the record, there is no (laughs) in-between. You're either a believer or a non-believer. There is no like, well, I'm just in the middle. No, there, there is no in-between to the judge. He knows where you stand. But if you're a believer this morning, the Bible tells us what we're going to be covering this morning, that we have an advocate. We have an advocate who is also our propitiation. And these two words, advocate and propitiation, and their meaning is what I want to cover this morning. And my hope and prayer is that you as a believer would understand what the words advocate and propitiation mean, that you will understand them and grab hold of them and take advantage of them. (laughs) But it is also my hope and my prayer that if you're here this morning as an unbeliever and you know that, you know that you've never really given your life over to Jesus, my hope this morning is that you also will understand what these words mean. For some reason, you're here this morning, whether you, you, you were invited or you just decided to drop on by, um, but you know that you're not a believer. My hope is that you understand what these two words mean and grab hold of them as well and take advantage of the meaning of what they are in your life and want to be. And so First John chapter 2. We'll just cover the first two verses here this morning. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My children, my little children, 
These things I have I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, you we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Wow. As, as I was looking at where I would be breaking up my study, as I'm reading through First John a few weeks ago and just kind of trying to figure out the studies, I got to these two verses. It's like, well, I can just cut. And it's like, the more I looked at it, I thought, I, I just want to camp out in verses 1 and 2. And I really want to be able to look at these two words especially. But he starts off this this portion of scripture, this section, by saying, my little children. My little children. You know, don't you just kind of want to go up to the Apostle John and just give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek like, a, like, a, like you would to your dad or your grandpa when, when he kind of just talks to you in that way. My little children. Kind of, it, it's such an affectionate term. And, and, and again, he's an old man as he's writing. It's like, oh, just come here, John. Oh, thank you for calling me your little children. You know, because here as, as grown adults, here this, this man who is a godly man is writing and he calls the people that he's writing to and to us as well today, my little children. In such an affectionate way. Even though the first chapter, what he's already written has been straight up. <laughs> He, he, he has told us like it is. He hasn't beaten around the bush. He's kind of hit a square on and he still refers to us as little children. And the, 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 this little phrase, my little children, it means a little child, an infant. And, and, and that's kind of how he's writing to the church, the people he's writing to. He's going, oh, my mijo. My, my little children. But, but the meaning here, my little children, carries with it the, the meaning darlings. My little darlings. <laughs> my little children. Again, it's like, oh. I don't know. May, maybe some of you tough guys are like, nah, whatever. You know, I, I'm a softie. You guys know that. You know, it's like, I just, I, I just want to bury my head in his chest and say, thank you for, for just comforting me. And I am a little child of God, you know. And reminding me of that. <laughs> but once again, the Apostle John, as he's writing this letter, he is disputing the Gnostics. As I shared with you in the introduction, he, he, he's disputing the Gnostics who, who really didn't see anything wrong in the flesh. Because to them, the flesh was bad, yeah, but it really didn't matter. Anything done in the Spirit was right and it lasted. But anything in the flesh, well, it's just of the flesh. And so it really doesn't matter. The flesh, the flesh is bad anyways. And John has, has been getting his point across here that if we say that we are in the light, in the spiritual realm, then walk in it. Walk as children of the light. In other words, he, he, he is saying that our talk needs to match our walk. And that there, there, there is a need for us to confess that we are not to be making excuses to say, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. I'm not as bad as Terry. 
Sorry, Terry, you're sitting there again. So I'm picking on you like last week. I'm not as bad as Terry because he's really bad. He's saying, no, no, that, that, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. We're all as bad. And when we think that the flesh is okay, it really translates into our spiritual life. Because if you want to be spiritual but continue to live in the flesh, you're going to be walking in darkness. And so he's, he's making that, that point against the Gnostics that no, when you're in the flesh, it translates into the spirit as well. And so our walk or our talk needs to be in the same lines as our walk. But John is not naive enough to think that once someone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that that, that, that person would never sin again. He, he's not that naive to think that. And he is writing this to his readers so that they would avoid sin. Make every effort to avoid sin, to not keep on sinning, not want to sin. Because you're in the light. He is taking you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We should not desire to continue the same way. And earlier he had told us in chapter 1 verse 4 that he, he, he was writing these things so that our joy may be full in the Lord. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 2 he writes saying, I write to you that you may not sin. That, that you may not violate God's law and sin. And with what we covered last week, it just seemed like everything we do or don't do causes us to sin. To cause, it causes us to violate God's law one way or another. As soon as we take our focus off of Jesus, no matter what it is, we end up in the flesh. We end up doing something that, 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 that the, the Bible says here in chapter 2 that, that has to do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. As soon as we take our focus off of Him, we end up sinning. And because we do that, because we violate God's law and we sin, we, we, we in turn break fellowship with the Father. And it causes us to walk in darkness. And if we are not confessing immediately and continuously, it causes us to be in sin and in darkness. And there's something about sin and darkness that takes away our joy. (laughs) Because sin and darkness always take away joy. If you are walking in darkness and you know that, You know that you have this propensity to sin continuously in this area. There is no joy in your life if you call yourself a Christian. Because every time you get back, it's like, ugh, you can't have that joy. You know enough about Jesus that you cannot enjoy that sin to the fullest. Oh, maybe for the moment, but there is such a guilt that's accompanied with that. And so it's almost like, Oh, you, it, so, so when he says, I don't want you to sin, or I'm writing this so that you may not sin, because he doesn't want you to lose out on the joy that God has for us. In, in the physical sense, darkness is way more frustrating than broad daylight. <laughs> 
I, I am the type of guy, I think I've confessed this to you guys already, that I, I sleep with a nightlight. I, I, I have to have a nightlight. My wife is like a bat, man. She could like walk anywhere in the dark. It doesn't matter. And me, it's like, uh, it's like, I just do not want to stub my toe. I really don't. I don't want to step on something. I don't want to run into something. And so I need a light. And if I'm turning off, I'm the last one to bed, and I'm turning off the lights way over there, I get my phone out, and as soon as I turn that one off, or I already have the light on to, to kind of get to my room, right? Because I hate it. I hate darkness in that sense, you know? And, and, and darkness, again, it, it just kind of takes away our sense of awareness, you think you're more aware because I'm more aware. It's like until that thing's just like, boom. It's like, ah, where'd that come from? But if it was broad daylight, it's like you have no problem, right? And, 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 and again, there's more anxiety that happens when you're in the darkness, even when you're driving at night. Some of us, or some, some of you who are not wearing glasses, um, you know, are more anxious at night. It's like you're nervous because it's, everything's blurry. Everything, you can't see everything around you. And so there, there's, it, it just hampers your awareness and anxiety. When, when, when you have anxiety, anxiety is the absence of joy. Anxiety is the absence of joy. <laughs> when, when you are joyous, man, nothing can go wrong. But when you're anxious, there's this nervousness, there's this even sometimes like shakiness, there's this kind of uneasiness. And when you are anxious that way, there's just no like fullness of joy, rah, rah, <laughs> you know. That's what, that's what happens when we're in darkness, when we're walking in darkness. You can't have that, that joy that the light can bring. And what John has already covered should not be to discourage us because as I shared last week, if it wasn't for verse 9 last week, man, I would be really bummed out just to give you the message of verses 8 and 10. You know, but verse nine is, is, is what really encourages us. And so he's not writing these things because it just seems we can't get anything right. And again, when we take our focus off of Jesus, we just can't do anything right. And, and if we just stayed there, we would be so discouraged. But verse nine gives us that encouragement that we have the privilege to be able to confess, to be able to acknowledge who we are and, and to agree with what God says about who we are. And in that we can walk in the truth. We're not deceiving ourselves because we know what he has already said about us. And we're saying, amen, I am that and I need you desperately like the air I breathe. But guys, it gets better than this. It gets better than, than, than this whole thing as we move into chapter 2. He says, if anyone sins, and John is not saying, and if you ever sin, it, it would be better like this, and when you sin, <laughs> but when you sin. John is writing to encourage the believer to avoid sin and darkness. And so he kind of, if I could just paraphrase it, it's like, but when you stumble and fall, when you mess up in that sense, he says, remember that you already have someone pleading your case. You have someone who is on your side. 
Just remember, they are, He is there for you. Through thick and thin, no matter what, and you can count on Him. When you sin, when you stumble, when you fall, when you fail. He said, we have an advocate with the Father. And that word advocate, when you look up the synonyms and, and your like, word thing, you know, you, you, you look at, these are words that go along with advocate, supporter, backer, promoter, activist, com- campaigner, and sponsor. The opposite of advocate there in, in, in your computer would be opponent or adversary. That, that, you know, in, in that sense, that's what we're looking at, you know, an adversary is, is in, instead of an advocate. But in the Greek, and what it means here in the scripture in regards to Jesus, the Greek word is parakletos in the Greek, parakletos. Some of you guys are familiar with that word. And it means an intercessor, a consoler, advocate, comforter. That's what the Strong's Concordance says. In the Thayer's Greek lexicon, it's like this. Summoned, called to one side, especially called to one's aid. One who pleads another case before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, an advocate. That, that's what the Bible says is what an advocate is here. That's who Jesus is. He is our advocate. He, he is our intercessor. He is the one who, who has been summoned to our defense. He is the one who, who has come to plead my case before the judge. He is the one who, who, who is my advocate. And, and what this is inferring and concluding is that us as Christians has one, have one who, who speaks for our defense. In other words, he is a mouthpiece for me. <laughs> he is my mouthpiece. That, 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 that's what some people call their lawyers. Uh, talk to my mouthpiece. He's the one that speaks for me. He's the one that gets up and talks to the judge so I don't make a fool of myself. In that sense, if I try to defend myself, my mouthpiece will take over. Jesus is my mouthpiece in that sense. He represents me at all times in the presence of the judge, at all times. The thought here is that the Christian has a defense attorney on the job all the time, on retainer, if you will. (laughs) He is there all the time. He is the one that takes up the case of the client before the judge. Because you see, there is a prosecuting attorney that is always before the judge as well. He never stops accusing the Christian. He is called the accuser of the brethren, this, this prosecuting attorney. Every time we mess up, he is there to tell on us in that sense. And it's interesting because we have a picture of how this kind of little courtroom setting might look like in a sense. Um, when, when Jesus is talking to, to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, 
When Jesus begins to talk to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And so he gives us this picture of the accuser asking for Peter, saying, I want to destroy him because he's a mess up anyways. I want to take care of him and, and just kind of shake him up. And it says, and Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. I've already gone to your defense. I've already taken care of it on this side. That word advocate or the word advocate for Jesus here in 1 John is the same Greek word that the, the Apostle John uses in the Gospel of John for the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, John refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper, comforter, which means one called alongside to help. It's the same Greek word, parakletos. You see, the Holy Spirit in that sense, the one that comes alongside, the, the Holy Spirit is the intercessor for the Father to the Christian here on earth. Whatever the Father wants to convey to us, he, he uses the Holy Spirit to convey it to us. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks to us about the Father's will through His Word. Jesus, Jesus is, is our intercessor or the intercessor for the Christian to the Father in heaven. And so when in, in, in the scene of heaven, we, we are this way, going this way to Jesus, to the Father. And so we see a beautiful picture of the Trinity, how they all work together to keep fellowship between God and man to where God, the Father, uses the Holy Spirit to minister to man. And, the, and, and, and man, as he goes through Jesus, comes back to the Father. And there's a circle, but it keeps this unbrokenness. That's what it desires. That's what they desire, to keep us unbroken from the Father or with the Father. But notice that this advocate is only between the father and his children. He is not an advocate between God and the world. We, only the Christian has an advocate. The world does not have an advocate with the father. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was praying in John chapter 17, he prays for the Christian, for those who would believe in him. He says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for those who will have to stay in the world. I pray for my peeps, in other words, that, that you would keep them from the evil one. But he wasn't praying for the world in that sense. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves the world. He gave his son for the world, but the world does not have an advocate with the father or with God. His children, we as Christians have an advocate with the Father. And again, it kind of goes back around to this whole fellowship that we've been talking about that God wants to have with us. It, it, it talks about that fellowship, that, that partnership, that participation, that communion, that, that intercourse, that intimacy, that oneness that God the Father wants to have with His people. And notice something else here in this verse where it says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Notice that it does not say, and if any man repents, he has an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say that. If any man confesses his sin, he has an advocate with the Father. It's 
not what it says. It, it, it doesn't say if any man weeps over his sin, that he's truly sorry about it, then he has an advocate with the Father. No, it says if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father. It's not just when I repent that I have an advocate. It's not just when I confess that I have an advocate. It's not when I weep over my sin. No, it is the very moment that I sin, the very moment that I fail, that I have an advocate with the Father. Even before I ever feel sorry about it. Whoa. Guys, this is what blew me away as I was looking at this. As soon as I sin, guess what? Satan, my adversary, is before the Father telling on me that I've said something wrong, done something wrong, whatever. He can't, he can't like know my thoughts or else he'd be always in the presence. But he, does, he can't read your thoughts. But as soon as I say something or do something, he is telling on me. He is at the courthouse, at the, before the judge saying, look at what Zeke's done again. And even before I even come to Jesus, Jesus is already my advocate. Jesus is not like some nervous lawyer hanging out in the hallway waiting for me to show up to say, oh, guess what I did? <laughs> guess what I've done? No, he's already in action taking care of it even before I have gotten to him. He's not in there, you know, looking inside and saying, hey, can we have a recess for about 10 minutes? Because Zeke's like dense. And he hasn't come to me yet. He hasn't asked for forgiveness yet. He doesn't do that. Isn't that amazing? That he is already in action even before I even come to him? Guys, again, as I am looking at that, I'm going, whoa. It's when we sin that we have an advocate with the Father. Guess what? We sin quite a bit. So guess what? He's pretty busy. Probably more on Terry's account than on my account. But be that as it may, no, he is always busy on my account, probably more so. Sorry, Terry. The very moment that I sin, Satan wastes no time. And Jesus is already there. Even before the accusation can come out, he's already saying, he's mine. There's an advocate here. I will intercede for him. I will come to his defense. <laughs> That's not to say that I never have to confess. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Jesus is on the job no matter what. Even before I confess. And it just goes to show us that Jesus goes before us in everything. At all Times. He's already at your defense. He's already taking care of you guys. Isn't that amazing? Man, this should be like hallelujah. Hallelujah, because there's times where I am so dense and so stubborn and so prideful. And yet he's already going, I already got him covered. He'll come around. <laughs> I know he'll come around. It's interesting because Jesus told Peter in that story that I read to you earlier, he told Peter that he was going to mess up before he even messed up. When he says, and when you return, before Peter even 
thought of denying Jesus. Jesus had already come to his defense because Satan was already over there going, hey, let me have that guy Peter, man. I want to sift him as wheat, man. And Jesus is going, nope, he's mine. He's already taken care of. I've already covered him. And when he tells Peter, he says, oh yeah, and when you go and mess up, he's going, I'm not going to mess up. It's like, believe me, Peter, you're going to go mess up. And I love that. I love that, that, that he had already come to Peter's defense in that sense. And so for us, we should all the more, all the more desire to avoid sin. We should all the the, the more desire to be confessing continuously. Because again, as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, we sin. And so it's like, Lord, I know I'm going to be sinning. I'm I'm, I'm just staying right here, confessing, because I know I'm going to blow it. I don't want to move from your presence, Lord, because I need you so desperately. Because I know that as soon as I take my eyes off, as soon as I turn, I'm done. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It comes down to the fact that I have the righteous one as my advocate, as my defense attorney, as my mouthpiece. And I like the way Hebrews 7.25 says it in the King James, where it says, Therefore, or Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus ever liveth to, live, to, to make intercession for me. He lives for it. He is on the job continuously. He, he is always interceding on my behalf because that's how much I sin. Always, He ever lives to make intercession for us. In, in John 1.12 it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. In order to have the one true righteous one as our advocate, we need to come to Him. And once we do, He takes up our case. As soon as you do. As soon as you repent from your sins, especially you who are here and are a non-believer that He is not defending you, but as soon as you ask Him, Lord, I want you in my life. I repent of my sins. Lord, take me the way I am. He's on your side to defend you. But you need to come to Him. And for those of us who already have Him as our advocate, we should be enjoying the joy to the fullest that He gives. The joy of our salvation, man. We should be experiencing it to the fullest if He's already on our side. We should be desiring to walk in the light as He is in the light because He is our defense attorney. Verse 2. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The word propitiation means atonement. It means to be at one meant. If you broke that word up into three syllables like that, at one meant with God. It means... It it, it means to be at one with Him because somebody has paid the price, because you've been atoned. 
The, the, the word atonement is, is what reconcile or, or atonement is what reconciles us to God, to where we do have that oneness with Him. And it restores the fellowship that has been broken by sin when we are atoned for. And the only thing that could appease God to have fellowship with His creation, with, with man again, would be the blood. And so blood was always used to atone for sin. But only innocent blood would do. And so the blood of an innocent animal was always shed so that they could cover the sin, so that they would be right with God. And so an innocent animal always had to die. That blood was innocent. It did nothing in that sense until Jesus Christ. And He was the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. His blood appeased the demand that God had to forgive sin once and for all. It was His blood, His perfect blood, His precious blood that was able to atone to be the propitiation once and for all so that there never has to be another shedding again. All other blood could only cover sin for a time and then they had to sacrifice again and kill another animal. But Jesus took away our sin for good. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said. And he has sacrificed once and for all. He has shed once and for all. And the righteous one is the one that makes all the difference in the world. It is his blood that makes all the difference. He himself is the perfect blood for our sins to where no more, no other blood would, would, could do or would do. He never has to shed it again. You see, our advocate, our advocate has a vested interest as he defends his people. And when Satan accuses those who Jesus defends, I, I just sense that Jesus just kind of shows his scars and says, paid in full. Paid in full. Once and for all. Bring on another accusation, I'll show the scars once again. Because that's who he is. The blood of Jesus satisfied God and met the righteous demand of God. And it is sufficient and abundant to save all the world all of mankind, from past, present, and future. That blood, the blood of Jesus, is abundant and sufficient. But the only ones that can claim Jesus as their advocate and propitiation are those who respond to the free gift of salvation. He died for the world. He shed his blood for the world. But the only ones that he will defend are those who respond. And, and, and get him as the retainer. <laughs> He's always there. For those who have already responded, you have an advocate with the Father. If you've already responded and you're a Christian, you have fellowship with the Father. You have the right and the privilege to walk in the light as He is in the light because He's taken you out of darkness. And it is because of His perfect blood the perfect blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. All sin. The Bible says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. 
We should rejoice that, that we have an advocate and He is our propitiation. But for those of you who don't have an advocate with the Father, these verses extend to you as well. Because He says right here that not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And that's where you're at today. If you're not in Christ, you're still in the world. And His blood extends to the whole world and wants to save you right where you're at. For some reason, you're here this morning. Whether again you came because somebody invited you or because you just stumbled upon us and you came in and you didn't know what to expect, Jesus wants to extend His arms out to you right where you're at. He, 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 he is mighty to save. He is able to save right where you're at. And He wants to be your defense attorney. He wants to plead your case before the righteous judge because He is perfect. He has the perfect blood that is able to forgive your sins once and for all. We're going to close in prayer and then the the worship team is going to come up. And there will be prayer teams down here. And if you need Jesus... I, I, I encourage you to come to them, but I'm going to be down here also. If you need Jesus, you can come over here. You can go to them. But I want to make myself available to you this morning. If you have any other needs for any other prayer thing, go to the prayer teams and, and, and get prayer. But I just want to encourage you that if you're here this morning and you don't have salvation in your life, you don't have that free gift, and Jesus will not defend you. He wants to defend you. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, once again, Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I do pray for for anybody that is here this morning who does not know you, Lord, and they know that, Lord. They know where they stand with you. And they feel like they're on the outside looking in. And I pray that this morning that they have been able to capture what an advocate means and what the propitiation is for them, that Jesus is the perfect blood for them to save them, that, that, that Jesus will defend them because of that. And I pray that, Father, there would be chains that are broken this morning from anybody that doesn't know you, that they would be free, and that they would uh, just respond, Lord God, to, to that call to you, Lord. Please, Father. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord Jesus, those who do have an advocate with the Father, that when they sin, Lord God, you are already at work for them that, Lord, they would rejoice over things like that, Lord God. That, Lord, it would, it would cause them to avoid sin at all costs. That they would desire to be closer to you, not to be free to go and do whatever they want, Lord. Lord, you paid a heavy price for our sin. Lord, help us to avoid it, to desire more of you. And so I pray that you would just encourage our brothers and sisters with this message. And that you go before them, Lord God. Bless them. Blessed be your name, Lord God, for you are worthy to be praised. Thank you that we have an advocate with the Father. Thank you for Jesus being our propitiation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.